I got to tell you, I knew we were having to move a God. I got to tell you my story. Because y'all know how I am, the Southern girls. I go, you know, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, I got up, and I'm trying to lose weight. So, you know, I went and walked to fit in these pants right here I got on. And um, so, I, you know, I'm walking, and I'm praying, and I um, come back, and I was like, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to go to the nail shop. I'm going to run to the dry cleaners. I'm going to do all the stuff. So, you know, I had to run to Walmart because it's like a mile from my house and it's like quicker than anywhere else. And so I flip through Walmart, you know, and I flip around and do all my stuff and I get to the nail shop. And so, like, the devil was in the nail shop. And so I get in there and I go over and I tell that girl, I said, well, I'm thinking about getting a pedicure because I knew I needed my, you know, my feet done. And, but I was looking at how many's in there, you know, because in the South, you can be at the nail shop, honey, two and a half hours just waiting in line. That's how busy they are. And there were hardly anybody in there, and she said, I can take you in just about five minutes. And I was like, yo, girl. And so I go over there, and I get my, um, and she knows I talk like that, because I talk to her that way. I'm not making fun of her. So I go over and get my nail polish, and I sit down, and I had my iPhone. I was kind of checking out Facebook, and she said, I can take you now. And I said, oh, okay. So I get over there, and I have the nail polish in this hand, and I have that purse on my shoulder. And I have a big old black umbrella because it's pouring down rain and windy. And I get over there and nail polish is running down my arm. Girl, the devil is a lie. <laughs> on, my, on my coach purse that I just got in November, and I don't buy a lot of purses, you know, I'm cheap. So I only get like one every few years. <laughs> so, you know, unless my daughter who like, she's a phenomenal shopper, she does bless me. Every once in a while, every, she hadn't blessed me in a while, but I need a, but I don't anyway, anyway, I, I, and listen, I looked at that girl and I was like, you know, I'm like, and I said, and this lady sitting over here getting her nails done and her little cowboy boots was sitting right there, you know, and I was looking at how cute her cowboy boots were and I looked at her and she said, it's on your purse. And I said, Huh? And I'm like taking my purse. I've got this hand. I throw the umbrella on the ground, on the floor. And I'm hunting, to, and I see a big old wad of red, the color of my toes. Y'all look at them. Right here. Yes, girl. The devil was there. And I said, this is no lie. I said, I ran to the sink, and I take water. Makes it harder. Don't do that. Please don't do that. So I looked at the girl, and she said, I, I'm sorry. And I said, I did not even open that nail polish up, didn't shake it or anything. I don't know what, that was just the devil. And so I get over there, and finally, you know, we go through all the drama. Of, I finally decided I was going to take some acetone, nail polish remover, and I was just going to try to get it off. And, it's all, and then the girl sitting there with her little cowboy boots, she goes, it's on your dress. <laughs> and it was my favorite denim dress that I just love because it's like really cute. You know, and I can just run around in it and I, like shopping. And I was like, the devil is a liar. And of course, I am got my nails done, you know, like the week before. So I said, this ain't going to mess up my nails, is it? Because I'm thinking, I got to get my nails done now. So we finally get it all straightened out. And, uh, the girl, another cute girl, about like you, she looked almost like she could be your sister, came in and sat down right beside. That's why I looked at you. She said, funny. Well, I thought, she's the girl from the nail shop. And she sits down beside me and she said, what happened? And I said, girl, and I started telling her, and I said, and they had heard me say, 
because the girl said, so what color are you going to get? And I said, I'm going to get the lady that works there that owns it. And I said, I'm going to get, I think I'm going to get some kind of red because I think it'll go with all my little outfits this weekend. I'm not sure if it really goes with this, but anyway, I said, and so they knew I was going, and the girl sitting beside me goes, now, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to California. And I said, she goes, well, what do you do? And then, you know, you have that moment, thank God I passed the test. I didn't pitch fit. I didn't cry. I didn't act ugly. I just was sweet about the whole thing. And I said, girl, I said, actually, my husband's a minister. <laughs> and so I got to witness to her and I got to minister to her. Mm, I passed the test is all I got to tell y'all. So I left out of there and I called my daughter because she thinks I'm the meanest nail shop customer in America. Because I want my nails done right. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all go get your nails done. Like I want them straight. I want them filed like all even. I want them all perfect. I don't want no crooked stuff. I don't want no sliding up to the north or sliding to the south. And I want my polish to go on right. I'm real picky. I've been wearing nails since 93, girl. I'm, I'm better than, I know more than them nail shop people. So anyway, I said, I told my daughter, I said, but I said, I passed a test, sister. I said, be proud of me. She said, Mama, you didn't even get, she said, well, Mama, you didn't even get like, ugly? <laughs> I said, no. And I said, I know we're going to have a move of God. Get to the dry cleaners, and they don't have Mike's clothes. And I looked at the girl. I said, sugar, call the warehouse. So she did. The owner went and got Mike's clothes, met me at 7 o'clock, and gave me all Mike's clothes in the middle of a storm. And so I get to the airport here in Fresno. Where am I? And I go in the bathroom, scratch my arm. Look at that. You hope I don't, hope I don't have a scar. It was bleeding in the airport. So we're having a move of God, baby. Mike, we get to the airport in Montgomery. Mike left his briefcase at home. So he had to fly home to get the briefcase. I'm talking like we're having a move of God. That's all I want to say. But I had to give you all my testimony of I passed the test. Them player haters ain't going to get me down. So anyway, the Lord has been dealing with me for several weeks on the book of Esther. Now, have you all been reading the book of Esther lately, anybody? been a long time since you read Esther, isn't it? And everybody does all that sermon on this for such a time as this. But, you know, this is not what my sermon's about. But anyway, the Lord, for several weeks, every year, I read Ruth two or three times and Esther. And I used to read Esther about once, but I read Ruth about five times. That is my, I love book, the book of Ruth. But the book of Esther has been just dealing with me, dealing with me, and dealing with me. And so I, um, I had been praying and I had been seeking the Lord and I really tried to preach something else, but the Lord would not let me get out from under it. And so the name of my message, if you're taking that, am I being recorded or anything? Please tell me no. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Delete that part and then back it up. Okay, I needed to know that for future of what I might talk about because if I'm being recorded I won't be bringing up certain things but anyway so the name of my message is the point to your purpose and so I want to before I pray I want to explain one thing to you providence and I know your pastor is phenomenal so he probably already preached on providence but I'm gonna preach it I'm gonna give you a little snippet because it kind of goes with what I'm talking about see this aisle God's providence 
is that he sees the beginning from the end, from eternity. Okay? He sees the beginning from the end. So his providence is this. Karen Gray, words. We have a destiny to fulfill, and certain things happen and come our way, and God will, because of his providence, his will, he'll orchestrate things to make sure that we get presented with different things to help us fulfill our destiny, and his will will override, his providence will, We'll override anything anyway that comes our way. But I want you to understand, even when you don't hear God, feel God, see God, God is still making sure his providence is what's being accomplished. So when you look at the book of Esther, you know, I heard all these things all my life. You know, my daddy was a preacher, so I've heard, you know, I've heard it all. God's not even mentioning Esther. And I'm like, God's all over Esther. I don't, you know, sometimes, have you ever been in a situation or a season of time where you didn't feel God, hear God, see God? God was still there. He's in the shadows or up in heaven, but he's right here on earth too. He's, he's really everywhere. The, the, the Lord is everywhere. But his providence is amazing. His providence is life-changing. And so I want you to know that prophetically, and i got to get this off my phone, God is God all by himself. He doesn't answer to anybody. He sees it. He wills it. It's what happens. But we have a will, so we can refuse to obey God. Y'all understand that, don't you? But I want you to know that your destiny has already been deposited in you. Your destiny has already been deposited in you. The moment you got saved, things completely turned around. God places destiny in every person. It's specific to you, your giftings and your talents and your abilities. And God is about to do something in you and through you that only God can do. Now, I want, you to, I want you to write this down. Do you realize that God wants to do the spectacular in you and through you and to bring him glory? I want you to understand that because God is a spectacular God. He's amazing. Now, I want you to say this with me out loud. Our God works miracles for me because he thinks I'm worth it. Father, your will, your perfect will be done in this place, in each person here. Father, show yourself awesome and strong. Oh, Father Jesus, Jesus, meet every need in the house. Anoint this word. Let it be a rhema word for somebody. Father, don't let anything come out of my mouth that's not your perfect and holy will. Father, let my words be your words. Let my words be what's coming from your heart, from your throne room. Father, anoint these women. Anoint them, Father, to hear the word. Not just with their physical ear. Not with just their fleshy part, the soulish nature, mind, will, and emotions. But, Father, let their spirit man hear the word of the Lord for them. 
And Father, let it be life-changing, transformational. Father, let it be something that, Father, changes the way they look at things from this day forth in Jesus' holy, 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 and most wonderful name. Now, I'm going to do what, since, we, since everybody kind of looked at me when I said, y'all hadn't been reading the book of Esther lately, I'm going to give y'all like a quick one. How long do I have to preach? I kind of need to know that. So like at 11.30, does somebody like look at me and go, so I'll know, because I can get carried away. Okay, no matter what, your purpose is going to get done because of God's love for you. You have to know that. You have to know how much God loves you. You, in the red Fresno sweatshirt, God loves you. You are adorable to him. I want you to understand that. If you understood how much God loved you, it would blow you away. And you would understand that his providence is absolutely at work in your life. I, no matter how jacked up your life is or has been, God's got a purpose for you. Each of you were created for on purpose with a purpose. Do you understand what I'm saying? You were not here by accident. I know I'm going to say a lot of things that you've already heard You're in your life. But, you know, you have to hear something seven times before you believe it. Did you know that? Think about them commercials. Woo! Okay. So, overview of the book of Esther. Chapter 1 is the king's banquet. Now, this king is one of the most, um, from everything I've researched, he is probably one of the top four kings living maybe even five in that time frame. He was the king over 127 providences, basically like 127 countries. Xerxes was his name. His father was a king. His father uh, always had like a, a heart to conquer Greece, but he died before he was able to do that. So Xerxes took that kind of mission on, before, um, when his dad died, when he became king, he kind of wanted to do that too. That became like, you know how people like get driven about something. Now, here's the thing about Xerxes uh, as well. If you go to secular history, I know I'm, I'm trying not to bore you, but you go to secular history, you learn a lot about Xerxes. He was an angry man. He was very moody. He was a very narcissistic king. Um, I mean, he was not one to, you know, to defy Okay, so he's preparing to try to go to war against Greece. So this is why chapter 1 is so important. He's got all these 127 providences. He's got all these men there that represent these providences, all the princes of all these providences. And he's basically selling them, it's a, it's a war summit. They're just having a war summit. They're trying to figure out how to and strategize, and he's trying to get them to buy in to go to war because war's expensive. And they're going to have to put taxes on their people to pay for this war. You understand? He has a wife named Fasti. Now, from the research I've done, she's pretty, uh, her father was a pretty famous person at that, you know, I can't remember now if he was a king or not. He was something. Anyway, you know, she's from royalty. I'll put it that way. So he's having this thing at the end of his summit. His summit lasted six months, by the way. And at the end of that, he had a week-long feast and they all got drunk, and they were evil men. They weren't Christians, so we're not, we're not talking about Christians here. So just going to let y'all know. So he has um, 
he, he, he tells his eunuchs, y'all know what eunuchs are? Okay. So he tells his eunuchs to go get his wife, and she's over here hosting a banquet for the ladies. And um, they didn't mix and mingle back in those days in every, especially during the war summit, you know. So she's got all the women over there having a party and a banquet and all this stuff, and they're doing whatever they do. And he wants her to come and present herself because he's proud of her and how beautiful she is. And she tells the eunuchs, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So the king got all concerned that, you know, all these women were going to start rebelling against their husbands because that kind of thing is a spirit, you know, it just kind of runs rampant. So, you know, they, he decides, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this in Karen version, by the way. He decides, you know, that he's going to dethrone her. She's not going to be his queen. He gets rid of her. Chap, between chapter 1 and chapter 2, just so you know, the war, they went to war. And he was defeated because Napoleon is now, he's, you know, in Greece and he's conquering the world too. So they got defeated like that. So he came home and he was in real sad pitiful shape. So, you know, that's why they started this whole quest for finding a new queen. So, Esther is living, her family is living in Persia at the time, and you got to understand, Esther's family had been there, they were probably like second or third generations at this point, because about 70 years prior to that, they could have went back to Israel. They chose not to. They were, um, this is very important what I'm going to talk about. They were very immersed in the culture. So they were in the culture. She had a Persian name, Esther, because her Hebrew name was, um, I just went blank. Oh, my gosh, I can't remember. Hadasha, yes, and which means myrtle. And so she had adapted this Esther name because they gave their kids like a Persian name and a, Israel, a Hebrew name. They were, but they were immersed in the culture. So you got to understand that, and this is very important, when I, what I'm going to talk about in a few minutes, when the king sent the decree out to all the 127 providences to bring in all the young virgins, they didn't have a choice. If the army came to get you, you had to go. So she was, they were living in the Citadel area right here by the king, so she was taken. And I heard somebody say, well, her cousin, Mordecai, he took her down. No, he didn't. They, if you read the scriptures, they went and got them and brought them in. This was the king we're talking about. So she gets chosen out of, now this is what I've heard history, some historians say, there was probably like 25,000 women that were brought in after they kind of whittled them down, and then there was like 400. So she was making the cut every time. And so she was so beautiful, the Bible says she had a beautiful figure, she was beautiful, that everywhere she went she was gaining favor. Now, let me tell you something. When you have a destiny and call on your life, you will have favor on your life for the weirdest things. You know, I worked in the secular. So I worked for um, people who were not Christians, and I would always have favor. Now, I would have to fight the devil himself sometimes, but I had favor all the time. And it amazes me how that God will use secular people to bless you. He, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And so you got to realize Esther has really no idea what's happening. I don't think she, I don't think she was running around saying, this is my destiny to be the queen. I think she was just following 
what was going on. She was immersed in the culture. She knew what it meant to be the queen. I think she probably wanted to be the queen, to be honest, because if she was not chosen to be the queen, she would have been in the king's harem, which was, but they were sex slaves. So if this was not a pretty situation. You know, Esther's not pretty, and it's not biblical, like, in, like it's not holy. This was a very demented, nasty, crooked, wicked society. They, their culture was very, very satanic in a lot of ways. These women were absolutely slaves. They could never go home. They weren't never going to have children. They were just going to be, and I think when these 127 princes came, we don't know what was going on with all them little girls in the harem. So you got to realize this was like what Esther's in the middle of. So Esther's made queen, and the Lord began to speak to me about this, and God said to tell you this, your past is a part of your purpose. Your past is a part of your purpose. Esther's history, past, background could not have hindered her being queen because why? It was providentially destined that she would be queen. Okay? Because she was chosen by God from the foundations of the world that one day she would be the queen of Persia. you got to understand that. God's providence always overrules any attempt of the enemy. Now, I believe... The Bible says God is directing our steps in Psalms 37, 23. I believe in every part of this, God was directing her steps because she was getting favor from the units. They gave her the best place in the harem. She had the best room. She had her seven maids that were taking care of her. She was going through the process. She was, you know, going through the, uh, they had, you think about it, they lived in the desert. This was probably happening in Iran. So it's real hot and dry. Their skin was dry. You know, your feet was dry. You know, their nails was probably broke because you know, she's working girl. She's not, you know, she's not royalty. So they have to, like, put them through these six months of oils and cosmetics. Then they go through six months of perfumes. And, you know, you can do all that spiritual stuff with, you know, God's putting you through, you know, a spiritual anointing and he's getting you ready. But this was her physical body. This was not for a spiritual purpose. This was to get her physically attractive to the king. So she had a lot of potential, obviously, because she was having favor, and she was pretty. So God's getting her prepared because he's, he's allowing her to have all this favor. I mean, we got to understand that. God uses your brokenness for your purpose. Let me tell you something. God has got no problem using broken women and broken men. He likes to use us because, you know what, when he uses broken people, you're the best testimony that brings him glory. And I always tell women, don't ever be ashamed of your past. It's like last year when we had that woman's conference and I ripped that band-aid off of abortion and child abuse and rape. Um, I'm telling you, those women walked out of there free. And they all got a key, you know. And I had baby keys. And I said, you take this baby key. And this baby key represents... They had pretty little tags on them and all. The baby you aborted, because that, that baby's in heaven. And I said, and then we had big keys like that that um, we used for them to understand that God was going to help them to unlock hope inside of their lives and choose the life God has for them. And then the pastor's wives got a special key and because they're unlockers. 
So everybody was getting keys. And I was explaining to them, I wasn't preaching it. My friend from Texas was preaching it, but we, I explained it to them that you have a past, but you have a present, and you have a future. And it doesn't matter. You know, I come from the country. My daddy, was a, my daddy had a farm. He owned a business. He had a farm. And I grew up, really, we lived in, way out in the country. And I can remember being a little bitty girl, and I knew I had dreams that nobody in my family had. Does that make sense? Like, I was a little bit of a weirdo because I wanted, to, I wanted to fly on an airplane. I wanted to go somewhere. I wanted to go places. And, you know, they're not like that. They're kind of all, you know, hanging up the house, got to stay with the land. We don't leave the farm, you know, that kind of thing. But I just had these, like, I wanted to do more. And so that made me, I knew that I had a destiny. I didn't, I didn't know the word destiny, but I had a destiny. Now, I think in some ways Esther may have sensed that she had something. But God's going to elevate you in your brokenness to bring glory to himself. And I want you to understand the purpose and plan of God is within you, not your job or your degree or your ministry position. Your vocation is not always your purpose. You'll fulfill purpose and destiny in your vocation. Most of you, your purpose, you'll never get paid to do ministry. You're not going to be full-time. But you have purpose every single day. Um, let me give you an example. I, I'm going to have to leave my notes, I think. Jesus ain't going to let me use them. But anyway... I, I was walking, like I told you, I've been walking. And so one day I'm walking, and, you know, I'm walking like shorts and T-shirt and a ball cap, no makeup on, sunglasses, and I have my earbuds in, my phone's in my pocket. I do not look that great, trust me. I'm just, you know, ugh. And so I'm sweaty, and I'm walking, and I'm like all intense because it's hard to walk, you know, and I just don't want to do it, but I'm having to do it. I'm like beating this body up, and and I'm walking up through there, and my neighbor, like up in my front of my neighborhood, the little, little tiny, little cute little lady, she's in her garage, and she's got this can of hairspray. I think it's about this tall. And her hair's all, t you know, y'all ever watch Steel Magnolias? You know, Sally Fields with that hair. She's got that perfect hairdo. And so she's just the cutest little thing in the world. And so she's standing in her garage, and she's got that big old can of hairspray, and She's waving at me, because I'm coming, you know, up the, up the sidewalk. She's waving at me, and I'm walking, and here she comes. And she's all dressed up to the nines. And she said, the Lord told me to come out here and talk to you. And I said, okay. And so she starts telling me, I mean, y'all, I almost busted out crying. She said, I was in there praying, getting ready, and fixing my hair. She said, I come out here to the garage to spray my hair. Y'all, because she's like, she uses a half can. And so she said, I don't want it to get on my countertop. And I said, oh, okay. And so she's spraying that hair, you know. And so she says to me, I never thought I was pretty. My mother never told me I was pretty. She never told me she loved me. This lady is 76 years old because I asked her how she was. And I said, and I'm just, look, she's a doll. I mean, she's so cute. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm sweaty. She's all dressed up. But I wanted to hug her. But I knew I didn't want to hug her. But I wanted to hug her. But I didn't want to get her all sweaty. And so I'm just touching her little hand, you know. So she's got perfect little nails. And I said, you're beautiful. She doesn't know me. Y'all understand? I don't know this lady. I don't know her name or nothing. But we spent an hour together right there on the sidewalk. And I mean, I minister to her. 
And when I walked, she, I gave her a book to read. I told her, I want you to go buy this book, Healing for Damaged Emotions by David Seaman. It ain't no Joyce Myers feeling good kind of book because it's pretty deep. But she was ready for the deep healing. So I said, okay, girl, you'll get your deep healing because I love Joyce Myers too, but you know what I mean. I said, you need some deeper stuff. And so she goes and, you know, she's, she wanted to hug me, but she was, you know, she like didn't want to hug me. She's like, I just, oh, and she just, you know, put her little hands on me. And she left and she went back in her house. And I walked away there with tears. And the Lord said, that was a destiny moment. Because, you know, I didn't look like a preacher's wife at all. Jesus had to tell her to come out there and talk to me. Because, y'all, she don't know me from Adam. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. A few months later, I'm on the other end of the neighborhood. These houses hadn't been built for like six months. Honey, I looked worse that day than I did that day because it was real hot. And uh, I was sweating so bad. And I'm walking out. This lady, her garage door comes up. As I'm walking down the sidewalk, her garage door comes open. And she starts waving at me and smiling. She's so cute, too. And I was like, and I'm doing this, you know, trying to, I don't want to talk to her. I'm doing this. And here, and so she said, girl, keep it up. I said, I'm trying, girl. I said, you, I said, cheer me on. And so she said, drink lots of water. And I said, yes, ma'am, I will, because it's hot. And so I go down her street, go back up, go down this street, cross the street, go back up the sidewalk. And I have my earbuds in. I got music going like, you know, I'm like jamming out, trying to stay motivated to walk. And I hear this, hi, real high pitch. She is running down the street toward me. And I was like, no, she's not. <laughs> and so I'm, on a zone, I'm in a zone trying to walk, you know, trying to lose weight. And it's hot, and I just want to go home. And I said, and I take my earbuds out like this. I got this. I go, hey. She's short, you know, too. And I'm up on the salt, and she's down the street. And she said, the Lord told me to come out here and talk to you. And I said, okay. And I was like, again? This is happening? And she said, I've been going through a healing process. And I said, oh, okay. She said, I'm on my journey of healing. And I said, okay. Y'all, I look rough. I don't look like a preacher's wife. I got sunglasses on. You know, I look bad. And so I'm like, you know, I said, okay. And she said, the Lord told me to come talk to you. She said, when I was 18 years old, I had an abortion. And when I was 19, I had another one. And I just admitted that two years for the first time. And I'm just like, <laughs> just snot. I'm crying. And I said, oh, my God. I said, let me tell you something. I went to praying for her. And she said, will you just come into my house? I'm all sweaty. And I said, I don't go in people's houses. You know what I mean, girl? Like, I don't do that. But I think she's little. I beat her up. Just going in there. Get me some water. And so I get in there. She brings me this big, gorgeous goblet full of ice water. So she was my friend. And so I sat down on the edge of her couch because I am pretty sweaty. And so I'm sitting on the edge, you know. And, and she said, I want to write everything you're saying to me down. And I said, okay. So I preach her the entire woman's conference. I stayed there for two hours. She's crying. I'm crying. I'm telling you, she told me she was 67 years old. Two years ago, she told me she had I'm going to cry right now. She said, I've been suffering my whole life, and I've been ashamed of who I was. And I didn't think God loved me. He never forgave me. 
And I sat on that woman's couch, and I prayed over her. And when I left there, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I said, okay, God, I know this was my purpose today. And I know I'm not going to get my five miles in, but you just helped me to lose weight. <laughs> and, you know, I walked, by the time that day was over, I had walked seven miles. <laughs> so God just, I didn't even realize it. So God just took over. But anyway, I am standing there walking, thinking, oh, my God, this is my purpose. You know? And so I thought about it. Everywhere we go, every person we meet, we're to give them Jesus. You know, our purpose may not be on this stage, and it may not be to be the, hello, Rachel, the best praise and worship leader in the whole wide world, her and her sister, and her, where's her sister-in-law? And this little chick, um, mm, give me five, baby girl. You are anointed of God. Did that way? Why ain't you got a microphone on your little, under your mouth? Because you, I saw you better worship. You need one, too. She needs a mic. And so, anyway, I am, I am realizing that our purpose is awesome. It is amazing. And you know what? God will use you in the weirdest ways if you're just open to it. Because, see, I, a long time ago, told God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Girl, I can go to Walmart and evangelize Walmart by myself. Done it a bunch of times. My husband called me and said, I thought she was just going to Walmart. Where are you? I'm like, baby, I met a lady in Walmart. She needed ministry. She needed healing. I've been, in, I've been over by the meat, <laughs> healing these women. And so you don't understand. I have that kind of life that I know I'm going to meet women and I'm going to minister to them. Does that make sense? Well, anyway, get on back to Esther. God love her little soul. She gets chose to be queen. But Haman... Her, okay, I got to get this part. Mordecai's her cousin. He is a descendant of Saul. Did y'all know this? Haman is a descendant of the king of the Amalites. I don't know if I'm saying that, that name right. But that's the king that Saul, God told Saul to kill them, wipe them out. Don't leave none of them. Saul felt sorry for the king, saved his life. He disobeyed God. Samuel later comes back, if you go back and read scripture, and he chops that king to pieces. Haman is a direct ascendant. Well, in order to fulfill destiny, you better deal with the devils. You better deal with the demonic forces. You better kill these things in the spirit realm, or they're going to come back and haunt future generations. And the Lord told me, he said, Haman is a descendant, a demonic force that was never dealt with in the past. And that thing just got hated Hatred, hatred, hatred toward the Jews. And that king was um, the king of the Amalites. Whatever you say it. He was in history, like it's recorded, that he was a persecutor of the Jews. That's what he's famous for. He persecuted Jews. So you got to understand, you're going to have a Haman in your life. And in the South, they call those hater players. Y'all know what hater players are? Y'all know that? Okay. That's a southern thing. I live in Montgomery, Alabama, <laughs> so it's so cute. I'll go somewhere, and them girls say, she's a hater player. And I'm like, go, girl. Kill them. So, hater players, hater players, I say it, hater players, you're going to have a hater player. If you've got a destiny in your life, somebody's not, not going to like you. Somebody's going to be mean to you. Somebody's going to try to take you down. And God, the devil will use these people. 
And God has to always go in there and help you. You ever had a hater player? You ever had one? I've had a few. Never mind. Yeah. And you've got to understand that you can't get disappointed. You can't get distracted. You can't stop just because you got a hater player. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's going to have one. Preachers have hater players all the time. You know, somebody gets mad. You know, they don't like the preacher. They don't, they don't like the duration of the church. You know, that's a hater player. That's somebody that the enemy's using to bring havoc. And that's what was happening with Haman. And Haman was so angry because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. Haman, at this point, let me back up my train. Mordecai was moving up in society because in the gates of a city is where all court was held. Business transactions were taken care of. You know, you read Ruth and different places. Lot was a gatekeeper, you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah. So these people that, that did this all of this work in the gate system, they could hear things going on. So somehow or another, Mordecai has moved up because he hears two of the king's eunuchs, two of the king's, you know, men plotting to kill him. So he tells Esther. She's queen by now. He tells her. She goes to the king on her uncle's behalf, tells the king. And they investigate it, and these two men were hung. Done. Mordecai was not rewarded, which was highly unusual. Because usually the king rewarded people for things like this, right on the spot. And the Lord spoke to me and told me, told me to tell you that some of you have not been rewarded. You have fought some battles. You have defeated some enemies. You've spared somebody else's you know, destiny. And you've not been rewarded, but rewards come in your way. You don't understand that reward's coming at the right time. So here we go. Haman is, at this point, promoted to next to the king, and he hates the Jews. Mordecai's a Jew. Now, they don't know Esther's a, a Jew yet, you know. And so Mordecai refuses to bow to Haman. The king actually made it a decree that everybody had to bow to Haman. And so he doesn't bow to him because why? He's a Jew. Daniel didn't bow. Three Hebrew children did not bow. They don't bow to another God. So at the end of the day, don't bow to the enemy. Don't bow down to these things that come against your destiny. Don't bow down. Don't give in. Don't let your, don't let your moral character drop. Keep your moral character high. One of the things that I see with women a lot of times is They'll have a moral compass, and they'll have it set, and they'll have what they know what God, they know they have a destiny on their life, and they know that God's taken them somewhere, but as things come along, they just start letting it slip, 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 slip. You cannot do that. Here is Mordecai, and Haman plots. He goes home and tells everybody, you know, that man will not bow to me. So he goes to the king, because all his friends told him to do this, his wife told him to do this, and says, you know, there's a man here, these people, he don't say they're Jews, he just starts telling these people they're not good for our city, our land, our country, whatever, because they don't bow, and their practices are different. You know, have you ever had people start kind of talking about how different you are? You ever had that happen? You know, when I worked for this one company that I worked for, uh, there was a guy there. He was younger than me. Um, I, it, that's a whole testimony. You heard that testimony. And he was trying his best to go among all the men in the company to get them 
to not like me. And to really, they were really plotting to go to the boss, to the CEO, to get me removed from my position. I was a project manager. And so um, it just so happened that I had just really been praying and fasting. And um, the Lord just, without me knowing it even, because I had no clue, was just taking care of things behind the scenes. And so one day, he, he knew that the ball, the CEO was from Atlanta, had come back to town for a couple days because he lived in Atlanta. And so he was like, he was, well, I noticed he's making all these appearances in the office. He's supposed to be on the job. And he kept coming back to get stuff. And you know, but he was really trying to talk to the CEO. And so the CEO and the president had come in my office because we were having a huge job that was coming. We had just gotten this great opportunity. And we were still sitting in there plotting out the, the plans and just how the contract needed to read. And so we're sitting in there and we're dashing out all the details and, you know, trying to make sure we're going to make enough money. But we're trying to undercut our competition. And it's in there. We're weighing back and forth all this stuff. And so this guy just kind of slips in and he just sits in a seat in my office. and He's just listening to us. And I saw that his countenance started dropping. But I didn't really know what was going on with him. So he leaves. Toward the end of our meeting, he leaves. Well, the next morning, he walks in my office, and he kind of has a, like a white sheet look, deer in headlights. That's what we say that in the South, deer in headlights. And so he comes sit down, and he said, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. And he said, I thought I wanted your position. I actually thought I deserved it. I thought I was more talented than you. I thought I had more experience than you. I just didn't think you cut it. He said, I came in this meeting yesterday. He said, I wanted to bang my head on the wall. He said, I couldn't do your job. I, I am, this is all news to me. I'm stunned. And I said, really? Because <laughs> like, it wasn't that hard to me, but it was very, he was like, oh, he goes, I hate that kind of thing. And he went, to my, he went to the CEO and told him and just admitted it. And the CEO told me later, said, you know, he, he was kind of a Christian. He said, you know, he said, you had no idea that he was trying to take your job. And he wanted you out. And I said, mm-mm. But let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit was working behind the scenes, and I had no clue. But you know what that did? It elevated me in my boss's eyes because he just saw me being even Stephen all the time. I wasn't looking for the, the devil behind every tree kind of thing. And the Lord, I felt like there, sometimes as women, especially when we know we have a destiny on our life, we, we're kind of bracing ourselves for all the bad. God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to absolutely just trust him. You know, Haman was evil plotting against Mordecai. But honestly, Mordecai didn't even know it. Now, he knew he wasn't bowing to him and that kind of thing, but he, wasn't, he didn't really know it. So he goes. He, my mind's went blank for about two seconds. I had another, ooh, another thought came to me. That's Jesus. So he goes home that day, Haman does. And in the middle of all this, Mordecai realizes that Haman's went to the king and he has told the king, we need to destroy these Jews on a certain day. And they were like, you know, they had the soothsayers there and the astronomer, and they were doing all this, you know, witchcraft stuff to figure out what day it was going to be. And so Haman goes into grieving and mourning. And he, you know, is in sackcloth and ashes, and he's all just real pitiful. 
just crying out in the middle of the streets because he knows the entire Jewish nation can be extinct in one day. Now let me tell you what that says to me. Some of you, you we may not be fighting for a nation like for our country, but we're fighting for spiritual territories. Principalities and powers of darkness are coming against our family, our business. How many of you are business owners? Anybody? Okay, you own a business? You own a business? You know what that you know what that's kind of like. You know that your 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 business is putting food on the table for people. So you're fighting just not just for your family, you're fighting for some other people. You kind of get what I'm talking about. When you're the pastor of the church, you're fighting for everybody in the church, the family of God. Some of you though, the Holy Spirit wants you to know that your destiny is affecting other people. You may not realize it. Your your atmosphere every time you go into work, you know, I worked for this one company and I mean, when I walked in the door the first week I went to work there, I, I mean, they were Christians, but I knew that my destiny was going to affect the people in that office. And there was one girl that was just so, um, like she was just not a Christian, bottom line, and uh, she was just playing around, you know, living life, had two little kids, and or she had one kid and was pregnant with another one, and she just, you know, she wasn't married, and she was just kind of like, you know, living life. It was all about her and herself. And I can remember, I would, I would look at her and go, you have a destiny. You have a destiny. You're just living this life out here, just not really caring. Do you know that you meet people every day that don't realize they have a, people walk in church every day and they just think, I'm a mama. I got three little kids. And they just think, I don't have a destiny. You have a destiny with those three little children. You have no idea who you're raising up. And uh, you don't know what that child's going to be. Everything you do important into that baby is so important. And so the Lord began to speak to me about Haman. And the Lord said, you're going to have some people and just even some demonic spirits that come against you. But how you defeat them is getting before the Lord. So Mordecai... I'm not trying to bore you, but Mordecai, you know, gets word to Esther. Esther figures it out, and Mordecai says, who knows, Esther? She's not wanting to get involved. You may have been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. You're going to have to, exp you're going to have to expose that you're a Jew. And he told her, he said, your, your fathers, your family will be killed. So she had to come to the place, she had to seek the Lord and come to a place where she realized, if I die, I die. I'm going to die either way. And you know, when we come to the bottom of ourself at the end of ourself, and we realize we've got to serve the Lord, we've got to do it right, God always has a backup plan. So, I'm giving you all this little history because i got some other better things to tell you. So here, here she goes. She goes before the king, and it's very important that you understand this. Your assignment is absolutely vital to the life that you're going to live and for the people that you're going to touch. Now, let me tell you this. Purpose is passion. You have passion, first of all. God gives you a burden for something. This is how you know you've got a purpose in something. You've got a burden for it, and you can't get out from under it. 
she had a burden for something, her and Mordecai both, they couldn't get out from under. It was their people. When you have a passion, you think about it all day. How many of you know what your purpose is? Do you have a clue? Hey, you know. You have to understand that your purpose drives you all day long. You cannot get out from under it. If you can see a need and go, that's a, we need to do that, and walk off and forget about it for weeks and months at a time, that's not your passion. You're not called to do that. You should help, but that's probably not your passion. That's probably not your purpose. Passion is something that sometimes the enemy takes away from us. Now, let me tell you this. God's going to present possibilities and timing when you're going to find out your purpose. The possibilities, the doors open up. Things open up for you. And all of a sudden, timing is right. You know, if you have a burden for something and maybe doors are not opening for you. You know, I had one guy say he was called to preach and his pastor said, your gift, your gift will make room for you. Are you preaching anywhere? And he said, the only thing I thought preaching was is about the pulpit. He's like, no. Either you'll know if you're really called to preach. And he said, you know what? I found myself, I had to preach everywhere I went. I had to go. He had his friends outside preaching to him at the park. He was preaching people at school. He really had a call of God on his life. But your passion and your purpose, you will figure out a way to make it happen. You'll be out there trying to do it. You will make sure if your passion and your purpose is to feed the hungry, you'll take food out of your own closet, out of your own cabinets and pantry to go feed the hungry. Do you know what I'm saying when I say that? So I want you to understand passion is something you have to have. A lot of people have a lot of great ideas but don't have passion. I want you to have passion. Do you feel passionate about anything? You need to start thinking about what you're passionate about and say, God, I've got a passion for this. Help me to understand that. Now, let me tell you that timing is everything. God will start opening doors for you. Let me tell you, this is another story. But when we lived in Oklahoma, I would walk every day, and I was praying for all these women. And I didn't know who these women were. And I kept thinking, maybe I'm going to have a Bible study in my neighborhood or something. And, um, but I, I, no, no doors was opening. Wasn't nobody trying to come to my Bible study. I didn't even try to have a Bible study. I mean, I didn't even really know my neighbors, to be honest. And so I just was like, you know, oh, I guess I'm not having a Bible study. But who are these women? And I would cry and pray over these women. And one day I saw this group of women with their hands raised in the arm, and they had bracelets on. And I just had this vision of these women. It was a lot of them. And so I kept saying, well, who are these women? For y'all, this went on for two years. No door was opening for me for women at all. But one day at church, they said in the announcements they needed a daisy teacher, the five-year-olds. And so three weeks later, they're still advertising a daisy teacher. And so I called the girl up that was in charge of the, the program, and I said, have you come anybody for the daisies? She said, no, but you're the one that's supposed to teach them. I said, what? She said, because I don't, you know, I couldn't get out from under the daisies. And so she said, I'm just telling you, because you called me, I knew you were the one. And I, I said, okay. I mean, listen, she didn't waste no time. She had the daisy material at my house in an hour. <laughs> I was like, I'm teaching the daisies. You know, so I go in there, and these five little girls. Y'all, I ain't never taught the daisies. I'm going to be honest with you. I've taught youth, but I never taught the daisies. And so I didn't even know their program. I didn't even know their pledge. I didn't have time to memorize it. It was Wednesday night. And this was like Sunday night. And so 
I worked a job. I didn't have time to memorize the days, these pledges and all that stuff. So I just went in there like winging it, kind of, sort of, following the rules, you know, following the program. I began to minister to those five little girls. But then I began to minister to their mothers and their grandmothers. But I knew I had more than just these five daisy girls, mom and grandmas. Two years later, Mike gets voted in as bishop. We come to Alabama. And one day he just pops in the house. He comes home in the middle of the morning. And he said, we've been praying about it, you know, meeting with the board. And we really feel like that you're the one that needs to take the women's ministries for the conference. And you need to be the director. And he's like, go, you know how men are. He gives me all the life, the, you know, he spills it all out to me. And he says, just pray about it. And he walks out the door, <laughs> go back to the office. And I'm standing in my kitchen, and I just, I'm like this. Because, I mean, I wasn't asking for this at all. And it was like the Holy Spirit hit me, and the Lord said, you know those women you've been praying for? These are your women. And I fell across my island weeping and crying. Because I had sown two years of praying for these women. And because I was faithful to the daisies and their mamas and their little grandmas, it's like five little girls. One of them had a grandma, the rest of them had little mamas. And I just poured into them. And the Lord spoke to me and said, these are your women. I was overwhelmed. And I was humbled. And I was weeping and crying. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I mean, I was so nervous. And I want to tell you something. A player hater came on the scene pretty quickly and said, I don't think the bishop's wife should be the women's ministry's director. And she let me have it. And I, I just was silent. And I just said, well, I'm very sorry. I would really love for you to be a part of this. And that's okay. We love you. And I was anointed because, you know, that was God. So anyway, at the make a long story short, when the door opens, God kicks it open, busts it all up, and he presents an opportunity for you. But I was faithful to the daisies. See, God says to you, some of you may think, I have like this thought of what you might want to do, but are you faithful to the daisies? Are you willing to work the nursery? The most anointed place in this church is not on this stage or not in sanctuary, it's in that nursery. There's an anointing. I wrote an article one time at our church. The anointing is in the nursery. You have no idea who in that, who in that nursery you're ministering to. And I, had, I went to this one church, and um, it was like I could tell they didn't have anybody for the nursery. They had a bunch of little babies, you know. And I could tell they were scrambling. And, um, like, I wanted to go to the nursery. Because I was like, you have no idea who's in that nursery. You have no idea who the future pastor of this church, who the bishop bishop is, a future missionary president. It could be the president of the United States. You don't know. You don't know the, the mayor of this city. You don't know who's in that nursery. You don't know whose life you're pouring into. And so the Holy Spirit wants you to understand that you may think, what can I give? But there's somewhere you can volunteer, clean the church. There's an anointing in cleaning the church. I'm just telling you, girl, I cleaned the church. My daddy pastored, I cleaned the church. I was 14 years old. Listen, I cleaned that church like it was the palace. 
And I can remember at 14 years old, my daddy came to me one, like on a Saturday, I think, and said, I think you're going to have to teach the 9 to 10-year-olds. I was 14. I was like, okay. I'm, listen, I saw, give me the, give me, where's the book? I'll teach him, you know. And I can remember getting in there and teaching. I studied. And one of the daddies was a deacon, and he, after church, you know, that first Sunday, he got his kids on the car, and he was like, what did she teach? You know, he was like, <laughs> he come back to me, he said, I got my kids on the car, and I said, what did she teach on? He said, what did they tell me? Everything you taught on. And he put out the word on me. I was the best teacher for the 9 and 10-year-olds. I was 14 years old. I'm telling you, you be faithful. You be faithful at the church, sister, and you, and your, where's your sister down there, and your sister-in-law, where's sister-in-law? Where's little sister-in-law? She had to go to work. God, there she is back there, baby girl. You're faithful to do these type of things. God's going to honor you. And let me tell you something. If your passion will open doors for you, it will open opportunities for you. Now, here's the cool part. You know how I told you about Haman's plan to kill the Jews? Of course, Esther goes into the king. And he looks at her. He loves her. He thinks she's beautiful. He's like, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. What you want? She's a real good plotter. She had spent three days fasting. The Bible don't say she prayed, but I have a feeling she prayed. Just if I'm fasting, I'm going to be praying. I don't know about that. And that was in their culture, so they would have fasted and prayed, I think. That's what I think. Anyway, so she gets in there, and she says, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing a banquet for you and Haman. I thought she was the coolest lady in town. Because that would have been an emotional me. I'd have been in there going, <gasps> "Miss trying to kill my people." But she was like following God. She got a plan. If you've got a call on your life, you're going to have a plan. You're going to seek God for the plan. You're not just going to run out there amok. You know, I had this girl one time tell me. She said, "I'm called to lead women," and I said, "Okay." I said, "What's your plan?" I, I'm preaching. I'm going to sing to him. I said, "But what's your plan?" So I said, you need a plan. You need some friends that are going to pray with you and minister with you and help you. And you know what? She's very anointed. She's very talented. But she don't have a plan. And her ministry just stays real surfacy, real local level. But I know that she could have big time level, but she don't have a plan. Is it by, what time is it? We're getting down. It's almost time. Hmm? In just a few minutes. So let me tell you something. God wants you to have a plan. So you're going to have a passion. You've got to have a plan. You've got to have friends. The other thing, and I hope I'm not boring y'all. Okay. The other thing that the Lord wants me to tell you is this. When you have the plan and you fast and pray and you get it, you can go and ask the Lord anything and he'll grant it. I know that was the king granting their thing. But, you know, that night, before the next day when, you know, Haman was killed, the king couldn't sleep. The chronicles are read. He remembers about Haman has not been rewarded for saving his life from those two men that tried to kill him. Haman slept like a baby, the Bible says, and he dreamed of his revenge. And the Lord spoke to me and said, some of you haven't been able to sleep. Or you've been worried about certain different things. And the enemy has been over here just sleeping like a baby. Because he thinks he's won. Haman was rewarded. I mean, Mordecai was rewarded from the very thing that Haman said to the king. King says to Haman, what should be done to the man who has honored the king? 
And he says, oh, give him a royal robe and take him out and walk him down the streets, you know, and parade him and say, you know, this certain thing. And he says, good, then do that to Mordecai. So the Lord told me to tell you the enemy thinks he's got you, but God's about to elevate you. God's about to raise you up, and he's going to put you on a pedestal. And people are going to recognize you. And the enemy sometimes thinks that he's got you down, he's taking you down, and God's about to say, no, you're going to be elevated. Let me tell you something. When you have a destiny and a purpose, God will work out the weirdest things for you, and timing is everything. Timing is everything. Mordecai, if he'd have been rewarded two years before when this happened, this opportunity would not have presented itself. And everything was exposed. We know the story. Esther tells the king what happens. Haman is killed. And then Mordecai and Esther are given the opportunity to undo the decree that had been done to kill the Jews. Now, that didn't mean the Jews didn't have to fight, because they did have to fight for their lives that day. But God saved them. And the Lord told me to tell you that some of you will have a battle. But if you do the things that God's called you to do and you stay pure in your heart, your destiny is going to get fulfilled. And everybody has a story just like mine. Every one of you have stories just like mine. You've ministered to people in the grocery store. You've prayed with the waitress. You've done these things. But I want you to know they're not just mundane things. You're at that point fulfilling destiny. And your purpose at the end may not be like Esther's to save her whole nation. But this is the coolest part. Everything that happened with Mordecai and Esther brought fame to the kingdom for the Jews. And God, and I, sometimes God exploits sin to expose his redemption. And that's what happened with Haman. And the other thing the Lord showed me was partners. Some of you need to really get with a prayer partner. You know, Esther and Mordecai had their maids praying with her, and he had the people praying. You need prayer partners. She needs prayer partners, like real prayer partners. To fulfill your destiny, you're going to need some prayer partners. You're going to need people to pray with you. You're going to need to pray with other people. You know, if you want something to happen in your life, and you know you want something to happen in your life, if you're willing to pray for her and she's willing to pray for you, two are better than one and three for stand is not easily broken. You would be surprised when you lift other women up and you minister to them and you help them fulfill their destiny, you get to fulfill yours. If you help your pastors fulfill the destiny God has over this church, you'll get to fulfill your destiny. Does that make sense? When you help them fulfill the passion and the destiny that God's placed in them, you'll get to fulfill yours. And you will be surprised at how it all beautifully weaves together for a beautiful program and a beautiful life for everybody. Now, the last thing I want to talk to you, just one more thing I want to say, then, I'll, then we're going to get some music going because we're going to pray. The Lord began to speak to me and tell me that he wants you to pray for protection. You need to put your spiritual armor on. When the Jews had to fight, the king gave them abilities. He said, you can protect yourself. God wants you to pray protection. Put on the whole armor of God. When you look at Esther, there's a lot of things to Esther you can say. But one thing about it, you can see these storylines happening all at once. And it is convoluted, kind of. But if you look at that, you can see the pattern for fulfilling your destiny and your purpose. And everybody may not believe in your purpose. 
But if you believe in it, God will raise you up. I'm telling you, God has got some destiny on the inside of this place. Some of you are just bursting with fulfillment of destiny. But at the same time, you're doing it day by day. I just want you to understand that. It's not like big rocket science, you know. We're just doing this every day. Every one of you can tell me, how many of you have been to Walmart and you see somebody and you know God wants you to speak to them? The nail shop, wherever, ballpark, school, wherever. From now on, the way you look at life from this day forth, I want you to understand, if you look at opportunities differently, and you can, because the enemy tells me, I don't have a purpose, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. You're doing it every day just by being a Christian. And I just want you to know that. And I just feel like some of you have, you're pregnant with, the, with some, something God wants to birth in you. I just want you to have faith to believe. And you know what? You may not have been raised in the church, but it doesn't matter. You may not have, you may not have always thought about having a ministry. But you may have a ministry and you don't even realize it. And you may, have, you may have plans in your mind for one thing and God's got another. I think Esther thought at this point, well, I'm going to be the queen. I'm fulfilling destiny. But she had no idea she's going to lay her life on the line. She had no idea that she's going to have to choose to give it up. And this is the main crux of my sermon. Chapter 4. Because y'all say I read a scripture. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go into the king. And even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She came to that point where it didn't matter. If you're going to feel purpose, fulfill your purpose, you don't care. You don't care. You just got to fulfill your purpose. And I just feel like this church is so prophetic. There's an anointing in this house. There's anointing over this house. Now here's my big crux to the crux. There's a city out here all around you. And God wants this church to shine. God wants this church to be a healing station. He wants this church to be a life-giving station. He wants this church to be a light, and it is. It already is all these things, but even to a bigger degree. I mean, when you drive up, if you've got any kind of prophetic in you, ooh, it jumps all over you. I mean, I was. I haven't been in this. Can I just say this? You know what I mean, girls? I'm just telling you. I'm telling you like I wanted to run the aisles. If I hadn't had on these shoes, I would have been. But I was trying to debate about taking them off. I know I left them on. And the Holy Spirit is here. If you're going to get destiny, you're going to get it in these altars. You're going to get something birthed inside of you in these altars, worshiping and praising the Lord. You know, when Esther and them went to fast and pray, she got clarity. That's the thing the Lord told me to tell you, too. He's about to bring clarity to some of you. You're going to get clarity. You know what? It's one thing to hear, I might have to go before the king. But it's another thing to fast for three days and get clarity 
Like I said a while ago, when she went to the king, she didn't just go busting up in there, squalling and crying and having a meltdown. She plotted and planned for two days to hear what the Lord was telling her to do. And God said so many times, we're just hunting the answer. But God's saying, if you will begin to seek me, he's going to give you clarity. Some of you need clarity in your mind. The enemy's just been... And God said, prophetically, if you will seek him today, you're going to get clarity. And it's going to come in a calm. Some of you have been faced with some things. Player haters. And God said, I'm about to remove them out of your life. And you're going to deal with things in the past and from your history. It could be from your heritage. It could be from your family. I know my family generational curses. We done dealt with all of them. And listen, a, a few more got revealed, like, for, you know, within the last couple, well, probably like the last three or four months, maybe even longer, maybe like six months or so. God, just one day I was just walking, and the Lord spoke to me and said, this is a generational curse I want you to break. I, my father was pastor. My mother's pastor. They were like holy, 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 holy. They live right. They were the same at home at church. They were just everywhere. But there's some generational stuff that God told me to deal with. I want you to seek the Lord about that. There's some Hamans that need to be dealt with. There's those two men that were at the door plotting to kill the king. Sometimes, sometimes they're just a little hindrances. Plotting. And God says, if you'll get before me, I'm going to reveal those to you, and you're going to be able to get rid of them. But get a plan. I just feel like somebody in here has something about a business or a ministry, but God says you need a plan. You don't get a plan in a day. You get a plan by seeking God. Some of you have your life planned out. And you're 40 years old, you think, I got it figured out. But it, God's about to change some people's plans for the better, for the good. You can go to work every day. Don't quit your job to you get another one, by the way. But you can go to work every day, and, and you can think, this is my, I'm just mundane going to work. But I want you to understand that God has destiny, even at work, even when you don't like your job. And you've heard my testimony on that. I'm just telling you, some of you are older, and you may be getting near retirement, and you just think, do I have a plan? Do I, I mean, do I have a purpose? Yes. You're at the most perfect age to, for God to use you in ministry. It's amazing. And I just feel like you're all, not one of you that's here today, unless you don't know Christ. have a destiny and don't have a purpose. There's a purpose to your purpose and it's day by day. If you don't know the Lord, I want to invite you to know Jesus as your personal Savior, as your God, as your King, as your Lord. I want you to know God so that you can fulfill your destiny. I want you to know God so that you can do what God's called you to do. He purposed that within you. Remember I told you a while ago, your destiny was deposited in you the day you were born. When you get saved, your destiny purpose enhances and becomes everything God dreamed for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans and the thoughts that I have for you, said the Lord. Plans
hands to prosper and to give you a good hope and a good future. 